0: Hey guys, welcome to The Lawyer's Daughter. This is a special version of The Lawyer's Daughter because I need to share something with you that is not public. And so I can't share it with you until later, until it can be public. And so what you're gonna get in this podcast is basically my reaction to what the news that's breaking that we cannot share. By the time you hear this, you'll already know the news, so it will not be a surprise to you, but I figured I'd like to, for both myself and for you, have a record of what's going on and how it feels to have this going on, so that's what we're gonna do. On May 31st was a Sunday night, and as you know, in in many cities, there's a lot of protesting going on, and then, unfortunately, after the protest, there's been looting. In Sacramento, things have been crazy. We live near Midtown, um, right, right against Broadway, which, if you know the town, Broadway kind of a, a main drag, a, a, cu- a kind of cutoff point between Midtown and and Land Park area. But it gets a lot of traffic, a lot of activity. And on May thirty first, that Sunday night, I was on Pins and Needles. We'd had helicopters in the air all day, which uh, tracking people and tracking. Um, unfortunately tracking the protesters. I don't even know why they needed tracking. Maybe hopefully I'm gonna accept that they were tracking them for their safety. But then of course in the evening, things have gotten crazy and um, on Sunday night, at about one o'clock in the morning. I was not I just I I'm just like my grandmother. I just relinquished myself to the what is true is I am a worry wart. Did not know that was one of my features, but it absolutely is. I am a worry wart. I actually didn't worry that much when Katie was a teenager, but now I've become an old lady worry wart. So I was on pins and needles hearing the helicopters and they seemed like they were getting closer. And then around one a.m. so I wasn't falling asleep very well. Around one AM, I heard what many in cities we'll know is kind of a a neighborhood police siren, which is kind of a whoop-whoop instead of a regular blaring siren because they're trying to let the neighborhood know they're in the neighborhood, but they don't want to wake everybody up, or I guess they don't want to, you know, be a menace. But I heard the whoop-whoop and they were coming this way. And our street is not a thoroughfare or anything. It's a pretty quiet little street, but it is, again, a block off of Broadway. All of a sudden, my cats flew out of the window areas. They just flew out of the room. My bedroom's in the front of the house. And then I hear it, people, a crowd running down my street. I mean, running. And then the police cars followed. Well, I I jumped out of my chair because, you know, I'm Mrs. Kravitz. I learned from uh I learned from a fellow podcaster. They're also called curtain twitchers, but my I'd been keeping my curtains open to help me wake up in the morning because I'm so bad at waking up. And I thought, oh, natural light. So I had my curtains open and I run up to the window and I look and the police cars are stopped about two houses down. And I think, okay, I guess they caught their people. They caught whoever they were chasing, the police cars did. But then no, they kept going. And that, so I, I came back and sat down on my chair, my adrenaline pumping, as you could imagine. And all of a sudden, I hear talking right outside my side window. So I face the front with a side window and I can hear two people talking and I'm like, damn, two of the people hid under my window. And I don't even think they knew that my window was there because the way this house is, it's lifted up. There's a basement. And so it's up, um, it's a raised floor house that's up probably six feet off the ground which in Santa Cruz would be good in case we ever have a tsunami. But up here, eh, whatever, we have a basement. So we, we're up. So I don't even think they knew they were under a window, honestly, because they were running. But they were. Just, the only thing I could hear in their conversation was go, go, go. Like, when should we go? I assumed it means like, when should we go or should we go or where do we go or whatever. So I went in the back of the house and made sure I turned on the back light in the, the yard because I just didn't want them to decide to jump my fence and hang out back there. Because I'm Mrs. Kravitz. That's right. That's right. So That's all to say that it ended fine. They left. I saw that I came back to the front of the house. I saw them walking down the street, going a completely lame way to get out of here. They will not, I don't know, they went the wrong way to get out of here, but they did leave. And I suspect they probably were as afraid as anybody because they were on the run and being chased. But my point is that Sunday night, I did not get a lot of sleep. In fact, I think I finally calmed down around three. Again, old lady worrying. And so I think I calmed down around three. Did not have a lot of sleep. Woke up Monday and woke up to this email. So I didn't... I also did not see this email right away. I don't know why. Oh, it came through at 1022. And I had checked email, I think around 10. And then I do my typical, you know, check social media. I read headlines. I read Twitter. I read news stories to see what the news is. And I wanted to assess the damage in Sacramento and that sort of thing. And all of a sudden I got a text from my brother, Gary, who said, what's this email from Cheryl Temple? And what are we, are you going to be on the call? And I'm like, "Wait, what are you talking about? So I jumped into the email and here's what it says. Good morning. I'm writing to advise you that there has been a development in the case of People versus Joseph D'Angelo. I would like to contact you by phone this morning to discuss this development. Will you be available at 11 a.m.? If so, please respond with the telephone number where I can reach you. Importantly, we ask that this communication be kept confidential as the information we would like to share with you is only for our survivors, victims, and their immediate families. I look forward to speaking with you today. Thank you, Cheryl. And that's Cheryl Temple, you know, my amazing prosecutor. I love her, will always love her. So I, um, at the same time, I got a call from Chris Pedretti, who you guys know, um, we hang out out here. And she said, Did, are you guys doing a call? And I said, yeah, I don't know what's going on. And at first we kind of thought, okay, D'Angelo died. Like that made the most sense to have something, there's been a development, that's such weird language. And we thought, uh, Son of a bitch. He died. And, and it's interesting because on Sunday night, one of the things that got attacked here in Sacramento was the county jail. I was watching them just bang the hell out of that building, um, breaking windows and shouting. I have no idea if he could hear them or not. But um, it, it was, it, you know, it's a place like, that's kind of been a place I hang out up here. And it's weird to see it being attacked by folks, to see them attacking the county jail. So Chris had said, yeah, I don't, I don't think he's dead. Well, maybe. And she, she was trying to find out, but then she got confirmation from somewhere else that he was not dead. So I'm like, okay, well, it's only 20 more minutes. We can calm down. It's, we're going to have our phone calls in a few minutes. So I wrangled my brothers and, um, we got ready for the call and my middle brother decided not to participate, but Gary and I took the call with Cheryl and team. And that's when they told us that, and they were so good. I, guys, I can't even explain. I, I, my heart, swells for how good my prosecution office is i i don't everybody has their own experiences but this ventura team for us has been for me mostly me because my gary's not been involved in much of this has been amazing um, the, invest- the DA investigators, the district attorney himself, the elected official, and then of course Cheryl, the the paid staff who's been doing working up the prosecution, they've just been amazing. So they did this call with us, and they explained where we were. Um, you know, with all all the circumstances that are going on, and God knows, every day we seem to have more circumstances. But in light of everything going on, um, in light of his age, in light of the state of the age of the witnesses and age of the case. Um, the, their ability to flex on 26 charges versus potentially getting him to cop to all the charges, all the variables. And I'll go through this in just a second. What I know right now, and this, again, by the time you're hearing this, um, much more will have been out. But what I know right now today on a Wednesday, two days have passed, because I've needed a lot of time to think about that, this whole thing. And I'll talk to you about that in a minute. But um, what what Essentially, I think what happened is I believe, and i and I think probably this is for the best, although I'm not quite there yet. But what I believed happened is that, you know, balancing if you if, it's funny, justice is not about justice. like justice is this weird thing. It's not black or white. It's super gray. and it's and apparently it comes in all the flavors because when you have to weigh out what else is in, included in the um, recipe for justice. There's a lot of variables. There's the cost. So this is a man who has taken and taken and taken from the public coffers in terms of how much law enforcement's been used to f- chase him, how much investigative time, how many human beings have been dedicated to following this god awful man from Visalia to Sacramento down the coast, down to Southern California. How much? My- how many hours? Just incredible man hours this isn't even including all the crowdsourcing and all the interest from folks like you guys listening to this right now who've cared and had passion about these these crimes you guys have cared about this stuff so you have this economic impact and we we were looking at a 21 million plus price tag i don't even want to think i'm sh- i'm sure we've already burned through a couple million already just to get to this point so there's this very pragmatic dollars and cents argument that I'm sure the district attorneys have to weigh because it's budgets and all of that. Then there is the um, how to hold him accountable aspect, which is, of course, where we we victims and survivors, whatever you want to call us, um, probably focus on the most. And for me, a big one was making sure that um, as much as possible, we know we had 26 counts that were chargeable. But, of course, there's so many more. I think it's up to 80 counts if I understood... I mean, if you looked at it in terms of counts, in terms of crimes, I think there are 80. I believe that's the number that I was told on Monday. 80, guys. And that is and that is not, by the way, that is not Visalia. I specifically asked about Visalia. That is not Visalia. So he's looking at 80 counts. All in, that's everyone he hurt, everyone, except the Visalia ransackings. Now, on Monday, I asked about the Magiore's. They will be included In this and I asked about Mr. Schnelling he will be included in this those are to me incredible victories because there were not ballistics that could tie them to D'Angelo so if he's going to own those murders that's huge that's just huge and then of course we have all all the rapes including people that we're starting to learn a few more people that are going to probably connect up with us that haven't really come out of the woodwork before and it, and it just reinforced um talking with chris today it just reinforces the damage that these people do one young girl I guess this is a crime that we all don't know about but I guess um she had to untie her parents and it would have been hyper and has spent her whole life being hyper vigilant as a result because she saw what had happened and she was there to protect her parents and like that's you know how that goes in when you have when you feel responsible for someone anybody who's ever had to Wait. Listen for the baby to cry in the middle of the night. Knows what that hypervigilance feels like. You just you don't ever sleep the same after you're a parent. Like you just don't. Um, so anyway, we're learning about a couple of new victims, and and so what will happen? What what they described um, is that we'll go into the hearing at the end of June. About the time when I'll release this podcast, we'll be going to the hearing, and. Uh, I plan to release this podcast as soon as the information is public. So I have been asked to not make this public until it is public. I don't know when that'll be, but at that time, that's when I'll release this podcast. About the same time you're hearing about this, we'll be going into the hearing where he will, I believe, allocate allocate to all the charges or at least admit guilt for the charges. If that means we're going to sit in a courtroom and listen to 80 charges, be read one by one in detail And him saying, yes, I did that, or um, I guilty, your honor, probably what he'll have to say is guilty. How do you plead? Guilty, your honor. Guilty, your honor. Guilty, your honor. That is going to be a hell of a day. I don't even know if we can get through it in one day. I'm going to need some sort of adult medication for that because that's going to be really rough. I just know it will be. It can't not be. Um, Everybody comes with their own story. Everybody comes with their own journey. Everybody has their own way they heal and their own way they feel. And it's just big, guys. It is big. And then I guess in August, I don't quite have this figured out. And they're trying to figure out all kinds. By the way, let's just talk about more complexity. There's so much more complexity because they're trying to figure out how we do this with social distancing. They're trying to figure out how we do this with a crowd because suddenly it's everybody. It's everybody, guys. It's everybody coming. And um, they're trying to figure out what venue to have this in. And you know it's going to be a media circus. Of course it's going to be a media circus. So good old court people are trying to figure this out, but um, I, uh, I'll i be damned if they try to shove me out of the way and not let me be in that room. I want to be in that room. I definitely want to be in that room for all of it, all of it. So one thing I'm going to probably just stake my put my stake in the ground on is that, is being there for it. So okay, now that let me just say okay. So all those complexities of a pandemic. Just know that that's in place. We've got pandemic. We've got crimes. We've got protests. Um, and then we'll co- show we'll be back in August, and I think it's the fourteenth that we were slated to, um, go to go to the hearing, the preliminary trial thing. Um, that was we will use that date to then start to hear, uh, impact, uh, impact what do they call them? Impact reports. Essentially, every person who wants to have a witness impact report, it's not witness though, they're victim. I'm sorry, victim. There we go. Victim Im, vic, Victim impact reports. Those will happen then in August. And that again could take days. I mean, it, it really could. I don't know what the limitations are going to be. I know as hard and as god-awful as it's going to be, again, I really want to be there for that. It just feels like that's something I need to be there for and to support every person that's going to be there making their impact um, report. And And I just, I want to be there to support them. So that's in August. So we go through a, a kind of quiet month in July, except we do also have the HBO thing coming out. I don't know how that's going to go, but we'll find out. We'll see how that one happens. So it essentially goes, HBO has the first show on that Sunday night. We go into the hearing that Monday. Um, we decompress for a while and then HBO continues. Then we come back in August. HBO goes through, I think probably into August. And then we come back for that, um, the victim impact reports, and then we wrap it up. It's over, which is (sighs) so, so that's it. So I, so in a context of a world right now where we're talking about no justice, no peace, I hear that all the time. Like that goes through my head a lot, and it's it's a big one for me because I feel like oh I cry um I might cry. I feel like I I feel like I grew up with this sense of what justice was. I knew it wasn't black and white. I knew it wasn't always fair. I knew that um, it's capricious, and it's influenced by politics and it's based on human beings, and it has all kinds of. Flavors and shapes, and yet I guess I think I still thought it was it was an ideal. I think I th- I think I idealized it a little bit about justice, and I don't know how to describe it, but I don't feel like this is just. Um, it's good. I know it's good. I know it's good for all the victims who weren't going to get who, who for whom he was not going to plead guilty. They will now get to hear that. That's so important. I, I can't get past how important that is. Um but it doesn't feel like we've had justice. And maybe I, I and I and I sit I, I I sat today in the chair for like an hour and a half just thinking about this because I hear the voices of the people who have been so, so cheated of justice. So many have been cheated of justice. And Um, It's something that I feel strongly about. You You guys know I'm like civil rights, human rights person. That's just what drives me. And yet when I think about this god awful man and him kind of getting it to go his way again, I mean, honestly, I guess for me, that's how it feels like it just broke his way again. And that's fine. I mean, there's a whole group of Epstein's victims out there who talk about no justice, no peace. They get nothing. The man's effing dead and our our leaders are so corrupt and evil they can't even get they can't even get documents released. They can't even get the paperwork released. Right now there's a judge saying he's not going to release the Epstein papers because of a, a technical, a technicality in the law. And like that's what drives me insane because technicalities in the law shouldn't be allowed to prevent what's right from happening. And when I look at this, this goddamn D'Angelo, it's like, I don't know what justice... The, the problem is for me, is I don't know what justice is. So you can I can sit here and say, I don't feel like this is it. But the point is, I don't know that I have the answer of what it is. I, I don't know what justice would be. To me, it's not violence. And it's not hurting him. Not that way. And it's... Um, you know executing him that no no that's not it <sighs> him i i don't know i don't know what justice is i i would be interested to hear what you guys think because i've sat with this now for two and a half days and i i was anxious to try to process this and share this with you guys and here i can't even share it with you contemporaneously we're going to have to do it later but I don't know I don't know if I know what justice is. I, I know that I'm gonna do a few more podcasts before the news gets out because I wanna talk about a couple other things. I had written a little bit of a fantasy opening statement. If I were prosecuting him, I, I think I'm gonna share that with you guys. I still have the motion to dismiss, which is now meh, like who cares, right? Who cares about the motion to dismiss, but I might actually um, go ahead and podcast about that because you won't know it's out of order until you'll know it's out of order. And out of order meaning um, this news, you won't know this news yet. So I can go ahead and share that with you. Uh, But I'm, I'm happy I'll get to talk with Carol Daly and Dr. Speth about the crimes themselves now because they will be released as soon as this plea is accepted. And it does, it does let my life go back to normal, which is kind of huge. I don't know what normal is either, by the way. (laughs) If you know me, my life is never normal, but I can go home and I can get back to doing the things that I know, you know, my world and Katie can get on with her life without her mother hanging around. But it's, it's weird. It, it feels, it, I'll have to see if this changes over time. Like I said, it's only June 3rd, and I've only been sitting with this for two days. But I am pissed that it's going his way. And, I, and I'm, I'm unhappy that he doesn't have to sit in a courtroom and face anybody other than those witness statements, which he, he's fully capable of spacing out for two days. Big deal for him. Big deal. And he's not going to get put in general population. And if you haven't heard that podcast I did about how they'll decide where he goes to prison, go back and listen to it. It's labeled. But you know, there, he's it's just, he got to live a life. I guess that's just it. He got to live his life. A really shitty, horrible, evil, unforgiving, relentless life of hurting people. That was what his whole life was dedicated to. His whole life, you guys, that's what he made his life about. That's hard for me. And you know, hes he doesn't have... He doesn't even have the righteous appeal of these serial killers who are actually interesting. He doesn't even have that. He's just so pathetic. Everything about it is so pathetic. And it feels so empty. And this end feels... Um, Chris was good. She commented, you know, it's like uh, the difference of, you know, like adopting and having a baby. All of a sudden, we're adopting. Like, it's coming. The kid's on the way. You don't have time to process this. This is happening fast. We thought we had more time to actually sit with his guilt. Um, I know you might think two years is a lot of time, but it hasn't-we haven't been doing that. We've been waiting. We've been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and putting up with silly theatrics from defense attorneys and uh and putting up with theatrics in the courtroom and all this other crap and layers of nonsense. So it has not been about his guilt. It's just been about process. And again, that's the legal system, right? So much process. The guy today in uh, Minnesota, just the, 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 the prosecutor for George Floyd just said, you know, guys, this is going to take a while. Nobody tells you that like when they say a while, that could mean a lifetime. It could take a long time. Change is hard and change takes time, and the law has been written by people who knew how to write it to protect themselves. Yeah, a lot of white people wrote those laws to protect themselves, and we don't, we don't have a way to do some of this stuff more effectively and um, maybe more justly. So at a time when no justice, no peace rattles through my head, and I sit here and think about D'Angelo, and know that you guys will be hearing this news at the same time. I'm I'm so anxious to talk to you guys about it, really anxious to talk to you guys about it, but um, can't yet. So I got to sit with it. Got to sit here and be quiet. So that's where we are on on June 3rd, um, and I look forward to this being public, and there will be more to come. Good night, everybody.